You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. Is there a couple, uh, two people that are in love, they're dating, they're married, either in your group of friends or in your family, that when you look at them, you say, I would have never put them together? It may be that some of you are that couple that your friends and family look at and say, I would have never put them together. I just don't see what the connection is. And there are probably a lot of people that just based upon superficial knowledge, just knowing a little bit about them, you say, I don't see how those people get to, how they came together, how, how they're in a relationship. This doesn't, doesn't fit to me. But once you get to know them, you see that they have this strong love that binds them together. You get to know their personalities, the things that they're both interested in. You see what it is that brings them together, draws them together. And the more you know them and you see them together, it makes complete sense. It makes sense that they go together. Now, there are many things in life that if you have just a superficial knowledge of, it doesn't really make sense how they go together. And there's there's one thing that when I, I read it for the first time, it just really struck me as seeming out of place. I read that when the Jews, when the Orthodox Jews celebrate Passover, they celebrate during one of their meals by reading the entire book of the Song of Solomon. Now, to you, maybe that seems a little out of place or not like it should be, because you're not really familiar with either one of those things. Maybe you have a little bit of an idea that Passover is the celebration that the Jews have when they celebrate how when they were rescued from Egypt, God sent a death angel and they sacrificed their sheep and they put the blood of the sheep over the doorpost, ate the lamb together, and then when the angel saw the blood on the doorpost, it passed over. But if there was no blood on the door, there would be death. And they celebrate that every year by having a meal together. They no longer put the blood on their doorpost, but they're remembering how good God was to them. If you're just kind of familiar with the Bible, you might know that Song of Solomon is the book of erotic poetry, that it's the book of the Bible that talks a lot about sex, that it's the book of the Bible that talks a lot about the relationship between two lovers. You say, what do these two things have to do with one another? It seems out of place. But somewhere, so, somewhere along the line, someone who knows the, the real meaning of Passover and the real meaning of Song of Solomon saw that they were a natural fit. Because the real meaning of Passover is that God loved His people and He delivered them out of their bondage. And the real meaning of the Song of Solomon is not just this love affair between two lovers, but it is God's passion and love for His people and how He has pursued them and drawn them And both Passover and the Song of Solomon are about God's love for His people and His desire to free His people and hold on to His people, hold them close. And this morning, I want you to see, similarly, that prayer isn't just what we often think of it superficially. That prayer is also about love. It's more than asking God for help. Prayer is about love. And if you take the time to read the Song of Solomon, you'll see that the Song of Solomon is not about a cheap sexual relationship. 
It's not about a relationship of a one-night stand or two people who don't really know each other that well commencing in the act of love. Rather, it's a love affair between two people who are committed to one another, who are passionate about one another, who adore one another, who want to spend time with one another, not just in the physical sense, but in the opportunity to get to know one another. And so they, they spend all of this time in this book writing to one another and writing poems about one another. They just want to be together. It's a book of intimacy, not just sexual intimacy, but intimacy in two people being close. And this is what God desires to have with us. He desires to be intimate with us. He desires to be close to us. He desires for us to know Him closely and for Him to be a major part of our lives. That is what God wants for all of us. In our culture, sex is often portrayed as something that comes at the beginning of a relationship. And in a hookup culture, the idea of meeting merely for sex is lifted up as natural, normal, or something that should even be celebrated. But God's Word makes it clear that sexual intimacy is to come at the, the, the result or the destination of a personal, relational, emotional intimacy. Hopefully everybody here is on the same page with me this morning. But that is what God intended sexual intimacy to be about, for there to be this relational intimacy, this emotional intimacy first. That if intimacy is just about sex, it's just cheap and an opportunity to get what you want, and then you walk away and there is no relationship. That's some, something completely different. So with our heads in that space, let me ask you a question. What is your prayer life like? Is your prayer life one that you enjoy spending time with God? That in your prayer, you spend time building your relationship with God? Or is your prayer life such that you come to Him, you ask what you want, you ask for what you need, you get what you're desiring, and then you walk away? Which is a better description of your prayer life? Prayer is not to be about getting what we want. It's not about coming to God and saying, God, I really need this. I really want you to do this. I really want you to accomplish that. It's about us having having this intimate relationship with the Lord. Prayer is meant to be more than simple wish or need fulfillment. I'm afraid that we often think of God as a genie in a bottle, that we come to Him and we say, these are the things that I want, God. We think of God as 911. We only call on Him when there is a catastrophe and a tragedy. And we almost act like, don't call 911 when there's not anything important or big happening. You only call 911 when emergencies, then you only pray in emergencies. Or that we think of God like the grocery store. And we go there when we need to, but we don't hang out there. We go and we get what we need. We go and we get what we want. We go and we're in trouble. And that's not what God designed prayer, designed prayer to be. Designed it to be a tool for us to grow in relationship with the Lord. And in Psalm 119, verses 57 to 64, we see how that when we spend this time with God in prayer, it has an impact on us. Because prayer changes things. Prayer absolutely gets a hold of God's heart and changes things. But the thing that it changes most is us. And so if you would, read with me, starting in... Verse 57, Thou art my portion, O Lord. I have said that I would keep thy words. I entreated thy favor with my whole heart. Be merciful unto me according to thy word. I thought on my ways and turned my feet unto thy testimonies. I made haste and delayed not 
to keep thy commandments. The bands of the wicked have robbed me, but I have not forgotten thy law. At midnight I will rise to give thanks unto thee because of thy righteous judgments. I am a companion of all them that fear thee, and of them that keep thy precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of thy mercy. Teach me thy statutes. In Greek mythology, we're told the story of a supposed god called Antaeus. And Antaeus is the son of the Greek goddess of the earth. And this myth of Antaeus tells us that he gets his strength, because he was born of the goddess of the earth, he gets his strength from the ground. But as long as his feet are on the ground, he has strength and healing. Even if he is battered or injured or hurt, if his feet are on the ground, he will receive immediate strength and healing. And so because of this, the story is told that Hercules comes and fights Antaeus. And every time Hercules, because he's so much stronger, is able to batter and break Antaeus and throw him down, Antaeus gets right back up because he's connected to the earth and he receives his strength and he's healed and he's able to fight again. And Hercules only is able to overcome him when he picks him up off of the air, off of the ground into the air and breaks him and holds him off of the ground so that he's not able to renew his strength in the ground. What the psalmist is showing us here is that prayer is the way that we stay grounded to what gives us strength. That when we stay grounded in prayer, we have a source of strength. For that reason, he says in the first line there, in verse 57, Thou art my portion, O Lord. God, you're my portion. And the idea of that word is, God, you're my share. You're the thing that's been given to me. You grew up in a, in a home with multiple children. You had siblings. How many of you had siblings? Right? You know that when it came time to divvy things up, that was an important time. Right? Because if you had first option to pick, you, you need to be ready because you're going to have to pick the biggest one. Right? Because if you don't pick first, you're going to get the smaller pieces. Right? Your portion will be smaller. The idea here is our share, our portion, the thing that's given unto us is God. But that word was often used to speak of the ground, to speak of tracts of land. If somebody came into an area or they bought land or they received land as an inheritance, that was their portion. Because in an agricultural society, that's where you, you got your sustenance. That's where you grew your crops that you would feed your family with. That's where your cattle grazed so that you could raise them up and then slaughter them or sell them in market. Your ground was a source of strength. And if you didn't have ground, you didn't have anything. And here the psalmist is saying, God, you're my portion. You're my source of strength. You're the place that I receive my strength. God, it's in you. When we spend time in prayer, we're reminded of this. And when we spend time fasting, as some of you are right now, we are reminded of this. In the New Testament, we read of Jesus fasting for 40 days and nights. And at the end of his fast, Satan comes to him to tempt him in that moment when he is the weakest and he's the most hungry. And Satan says to him, Jesus, you must be hungry. Why don't you just command all of the stones to be made into bread? Just like that, all of the stones will be bread. You'll, you'll have something to eat. 
Now, I don't know what your experience with hunger has been in your life. Maybe there's been a time because of a procedure or something that's coming or just poor planning, you've gotten really, really hungry, right? And maybe you've said like, oh, I wish I just had this, right? I wish I just had a piece of this bread. I wish I just had a piece of lasagna. I wish I had a donut, right? When Satan shows up to speak to Jesus, he says, Jesus, you can make these stones whatever you want. Why don't you just make them into bread? He's trying to trick Jesus, tempt Jesus, convince Jesus to use his power in an ill-gotten way. And how does Jesus respond? Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone. You know what he's saying? He's saying, God is our portion. God is our source of strength, not bread or biscuits or even donuts. It's God. He is our portion. And when we give ourselves to fasting, what we're saying is, God, I can do without that as long as I've got you. I can do without that, God, as long as I've got you are my portion. You are my share. You are my strength. And when we spend time in prayer, we remain grounded to that fact that God is our portion and in Him do we find strength. So what spurs the psalmist to say this? It's in verse 58, the very next verse. He tells us, I entreated thy favor with my whole heart. What's he saying? He's saying, God, I came to you and I begged for your blessing. I begged for your favor. I begged for you to work with my whole heart. I didn't hold anything back in prayer. I came to you in prayer and said, God, I need you to work. God, I need you to show up. God, I need you to do this thing in me. I need you to do this thing for me. I was calling out to you in prayer. I was asking you to move. And then something happens. What we have here is this psalmist, this poet, He's praying to God. He's calling out to God with all that he has, his whole heart. And you, you've been there, right? You've had those moments where it's that 9-11 moment, that emergency moment, that 9-1-1 moment when you're saying, God, I need you right now. And it is the prayer that you are praying with all of your heart. That's what the psalmist is saying he's doing. I'm, I'm praying with all my heart. And in the midst of praying with all my heart, I begin to think of my ways. And he continues spending time in prayer. And as he's spending time in prayer, he thinks on his ways and the things that he has done. I thought on my ways. And if you're, if you're in a spirit of prayer and you're spending time with God and you start thinking about your decisions and things that you've done, it doesn't take you very long to realize, I've made some mistakes, right? Spend some time in prayer and start thinking about the things that you've done and your ways and your manner of life. And it will not take you long for you to say, I've made some mistakes. Nobody walks out of prayer time and says, everybody else has got problems, but not me. Right? Nobody walks out of spending time with God in prayer and saying, I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm doing pretty good. No, when you spend time in prayer with God and you think on your ways, you recognize all of the defaults and defects in you. And if you find yourself too easily, too readily, finding all of the problems and troubles in other people's life, and too, it's too difficult or not normal or natural for you to find the problems in your own heart, go spend some time in prayer. Spend some time in God's presence, and you'll recognize the defects in yourself before you recognize them in others. He says, I, I thought on my ways, and then what did I do? I turned my feet into your testimonies. I realized I'm going in the wrong direction. I'm going to go your direction. I'm going to go your way. I thought on my ways, 
and turned my feet unto thy testimonies. I made haste. I, I didn't dawdle. I hurried up. I didn't wait around. I didn't say, well, maybe this is, maybe God's way is better. I hurried up. I made haste and I delayed not to keep thy commandments. Whenever we enter into God's presence, we spend time with Him in His Word, and we compare our ways to God's ways, there is no comparison. There is no way for us to walk away from that and say, ah, maybe God's ways are better, but maybe my ways are better. No, God's ways are better. It's not even close. And so there's no reason for us to delay. There's no reason for us to stay on the fence. We make a decision, and we do not delay. And we run to God's ways. When we enter into God's presence in prayer and in His presence in His Word, we see ourselves in a new way and our hearts turn towards Him and His truth and we are moved to run towards Him. And what happens is we begin to feel this affection and this love for Him because He is so great. He's so wonderful. If you've ever been in love, if you've ever fallen in love, you know what that has done to you, right? Suddenly you see yourself in a completely different way than you did before. You not only see this person who's so wonderful, and they smell amazing, and they look so good, and you just want to talk to them on the phone. Some of you remember what it was like to be in junior high, right? You would just call and you'd listen to each other breathe over the phone. <laughs> Teenagers today, they're completely going to miss out on that. They're just looking at a phone, you know, waiting for the other person to text them. But you remember that, that high school love? You had it bad, right? And when we fall in love, suddenly we see ourselves in a different way because we, we would have never thought of ourselves as someone who calls someone else and spends an hour on the phone. I hate to speak on the phone, but you know when I was dating Nicole, I would spend an hour with her on the phone. Suddenly I saw myself as someone who would do that kind of thing. Why? Because of love. Because of love, someone who thought they would never settle down, they would never have a family, they'd never want to have kids, they fall in love with this person, and suddenly they're planning out where they're going to live, and the house they're going to be in, and how many kids they're going to have, and what their names are going to be. Why? Because they see themselves in a different light, because they've fallen in love. And when we fall in love with the Lord... When we spend time in prayer with Him, we fall in love with Him, we start to see ourselves in a completely different way. We start to feel things within us that we didn't know were there. The light of God's Spirit and His Word begins to reveal things in us that we want to shape up. It's just like when you were in love, suddenly you started caring what your shirt looked like. Have I worn this one three days in a row? I need to put on some deodorant. Right? You start to care about the way you present yourself. And when, when we're in love with the Lord, we begin to say, God, there's some things in me that aren't right. There are some things in me that need to change. There's some things in me I need to give up. I'm going to walk away from so that I can be with you. These things that we didn't care about, that we didn't even notice, that we didn't even see that were there, they begin to be so obvious and evident to us and matter to us. Eugene Peterson writes about how that there are, there are cities in the Middle East where the people would be conquered and they'd, they'd be run off or they'd be taken away captive and then they'd come back home and they would rebuild and then they would be taken away and then they'd come back home or their children would come back and rebuild or another generation would come in later and rebuild. 
And he's saying there are cities in the Middle East where there are, there, there are foundations that are hundreds of years old. They are generations old, but the houses all look pretty new. Because when the houses were destroyed in that war or in that fire, the foundation remained and they rebuilt upon that foundation again. And the things were torn down and they rebuilt upon that foundation again. And there are times that in our own lives, there is a foundation of God's truth, there's a foundation of God's goodness, there's a foundation of God's providence that we are walking around on our whole lives and we don't even know it. But then something happens and God begins to stir in our lives and we start to look back and say, boy, God really saved my life there. Wow, man, that time, I should be dead. Man, I, I made some really awful choices. God has been so gracious to me. And we look back and we start, we start to see that we've been walking around on the foundation of God's love and His goodness all these years. It becomes obvious to us. It's revealed to us. And when we spend time in prayer and we draw closer to the Lord and we fall in love with Him, these things begin to crop up in our lives and we have this sense of gratitude. Take some time in prayer and in, you might start off with praying all the things that you need and all the things you want God to do, but eventually, at some point, you're going to run out of your list of things that you want or that you need. And then that's when you can really start praying. Because then you start thinking about all the things God's already done and all the foundations you've been walking on. For believers, when we get grounded, when we get back to God's Word, when we get back to spending time with God in prayer, we recognize the foundation of everything that we believe in, the foundation of everything that we're doing, the foundation that makes any of this matter what it really is. And every revival and every great move of God throughout the generations has not been because there was some new revelation or some new technique or some new strategy or some new method. Every revival and every great move of God has happened when God's people have gotten back to the foundation, gotten back to spending time with Him in prayer. And we experience God's power and His transformation most when we connect to the ancient foundational truth. When we, when we get back to spending time with Him and learning His truth, that's when we experience God's power the most. You know, right now at our church, we're experiencing a lot of things that are new. It's a time of transition. It's a time of doing things in a way that we've never done them before. And they will all fail if they are not merely tools of helping us get back to the foundational truths of Scripture. It doesn't matter how new it is if it doesn't point us back to that original foundation. This week, we're launching community groups for the first time. And community groups are an opportunity for people to gather in someone's home and discuss the Sunday sermon. And so if you decide to jump into a community group this week, you'll be talking about this message that I'm preaching to you right now. This is not a new idea. This is an old strategy. We're lifting that model up from John Wesley's ministry who, who followed the practice that he believed Jesus modeled. You see, Jesus had these 12 disciples. He said, follow me. And then Jesus would stand and he would preach to hundreds and thousands of people. He'd preach to everyone who could fit in the house. He would preach to everyone who could fit in the square. He'd preach to them all, everybody who could fit on the mountainside. 
And then after he'd preached his message, he would sit down with his 12 disciples and they'd ask him questions. And they'd talk about it. And so Jesus had the, the masses and then he had 12. He had the gathering and then he had his community group, his disciple group of 12. And then within that, he had a group of three that he spent the most time with, his inner circle, his closest three disciples. When John Wesley began his ministry, he would go and he would preach to large gatherings, gatherings like this one and much bigger. But then he would invite those people back to what he called a society. And society was a gathering of 10 or 12 people, male and female. And they would discuss and they would go over the material. And the people who got involved in societies, he would then invite them to be a part of a band. And that would be a group of three men or three women. And they would take God's Word portion by portion, going through it together. And John Wesley actually got to a point that he wouldn't let people into this gathering unless he could show a card that proved that they'd gone to the society. In other words, you couldn't come to church unless you showed that you were part of a small group. Why? Because he knew that getting them into those groups where they could discuss God's Word and pray together was key to their growth. Here at our church, we want you to come to be a part of this worship gathering, this church service, but we also want you to jump into Bible study on Wednesday night and community group on Tuesdays and Thursdays so you can discuss God's Word and pray together and grow closer to God. And if that's something that you're involved in, then we can see you getting into a discipleship group, which is a gathering of three or four. And that's what Chris was speaking about earlier that's really made a huge difference in his life, that he got involved in a discipleship group and it made this huge difference. This is not a newfangled strategy. It's not some new idea that Pastor Eric has come up with. It's something we feel like God's Word lays out for us to do. And whenever we come back to the foundational truths of Scripture, we come back to spending time with God in His Word and in prayer, we'll fall in love with Him and it'll have this huge impact in us. And what you read about in the following verses are just a demonstration that God worked in a big way. He says, Be merciful according to thy word. Verse 59, I thought on my ways and turned my feet unto thy testimonies. I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. The bands of the wicked have robbed me, but they haven't taken my life. You know what he's saying? He's saying they took everything from me, but they couldn't take the truth. Then he says, I will rise up at midnight to praise thee. He says, God, I'm going to praise you all the time. Even in the middle of the night, I'm going to give you praise. What's happened here? He's spent time with God in prayer. He's come to know His Word. He's spent time looking at His truths, and it's made a huge difference in Him so that no matter what comes at Him, no matter what adversity He faces, no matter how difficult things are, He still loves God. Because you can't take that from Him. still loves God. And even in moments when he doesn't feel like he has God's favor and he feels like things are going bad and he feels like things are wrong, even at midnight, even when he's been robbed, he still will praise the Lord because he still loves God. And how did this happen? It happened because he spent time in prayer. Because prayer changes things. But the thing that prayer changes the most is our hearts. It's us. Prayer is, 
is a way that we're able to grasp the heart of God, that we're able to nudge the heart of God, and it makes a difference in the world. It makes a difference in the lives of other people. That, that is true, but that, it's not just that. It's more than that. Because when we reach out and we grab a hold of the heart of God and we nudge the heart of God, it affects us. And we can't come in contact with God's presence. We can't come in contact with God's heart without it affecting us. And the thing that prayer changes the most is us. You know, last week I talked to you about how prayer is like digging ditches, right? We looked at that story where these guys, they're having to dig ditches, they're doing the work, and trusting that God is going to send the water, right? And the way that a shovel works is, is a pretty standard principle of physics. It's a lever. So you push the shovel down into the dirt, and then you're able to use the leverage of the handle to pry the dirt or to pick up the dirt and throw it wherever you need to. And that, that's, the, that's the principle of a, of a lever. Is you can take something and moving it with a small amount of force, a great distance, you can move something with a great amount of force, a small distance. Right? You've ever been on a swing set with your sibling? That's what's happening there. But you know that a lever works two ways, right? Because just as a small amount of force going a long distance can move the large object a small distance, that large object just moving a small distance moves this a long distance. Because the lever works both ways. So if you've ever been prying something up and a heavy rock falls on the shovel or the dirt falls back, you know that it swings back, right? Or maybe a way that you've seen a lever work even more is if you've come across one of these laying in the yard like this. <laughs> because you know that when you step on this, this handle comes flying at you pretty fast. It's a good amount of weight, moving something a small distance, which causes this to travel at a very fast rate of speed until it smacks you. And when we spend time in prayer, when we're using prayer to leverage the heart of God, to move the mighty heart of God, we should know that that lever, that lever works both ways. And just as our prayers might nudge the heart of God, our time in prayer will catapult us. Because that's really what a catapult is. It's just a lever. It'll catapult us into growth, catapult us into love, catapult us into transformation, catapult us into being completely different. And so prayer changes things, and it nudges the heart of God, but the thing that it changes the most is us. It's our hearts. It might be that right now you feel like, i got a long ways to go, I'm so messed up, my life is in such shambles, my family's a disaster, my marriage is falling apart. It's just too much. Prayer changes things. And often the way that God catapults us to having those prayers answered is by changing our hearts. So spend some time in prayer. And I think God will influence the circumstances and the situations that you find yourself in. But I think what God will spend the most amount of time or bring about the greatest amount of change in is your own heart. Would you bow and pray with me for just a moment?